You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Last thing while you're still standing, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture to get us going here. Um, And it's uh, a passage out of Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 2. And it's actually a prophetic word written by the prophet Isaiah long before we had the New Testament church at all. Okay? And so I want to read what he says the church is supposed to look like, the church that we're living in right now. Okay? And I want us to do it standing, and I'm going to read it um, out loud. It's going to be on the screen behind me so you guys can follow along. And I want you to listen to these words, this beautiful picture of what the church is and will be. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. Come on. It says, In the last days, that's these days, we're in those, by the way, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares or farming tools and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. How beautiful is that? Come on. And that's a promise. It's a prophetic vision of what the church is that we're living in right now, today. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Come on. Amen. Grab a seat. Give somebody a high five on your way down or a elbow or a foot tap, you know, whatever. It's all good. But hey, I'm so excited to be preaching again. Goodness gracious. I'm a little nervous. I was like, am I going to remember how to do this? It's been five months. Got to shake the rust off, you know. Now I'm scared I'm going to slip. It's going to be, and then I was nervous I was going to get up here like this. Just forget how to do all this. But hey, we're going to make it happen. And I'm going to, I want to look at this passage in Isaiah. And, um, and there's uh, three things really that we can pull out of it of what the church is to us. We, we, in the beginning of the passage, we hear some things about what kind of the, you know, the church is. We hear that it's a, um, a mountain of the Lord's house high on a hill. So we, you know, we hear that it's a mountain, it's immovable, that it's a house, it's a shelter, it's a refuge, it's high above, it's the highest authority. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about us. I want to talk about what the church is to us, what the church gives to us. And I don't know about you, but for me, these past five months of not being able to meet together has made me realize all the more my deep, undying devotion and love for the church. There is nothing more essential, nothing more important on earth than the local church because it is the hope of the world in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Come on, somebody. So I want to read, uh, put, can you put verse 2 back up on the screen? I want to read the, the back half of, of verse 2 and into verse 3. And look at what it says about what the church is for us. So it says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, 
That's verse three. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. The back half of verse two right before that says um, that people from many nations will come. People from all over the world will stream in to worship. And so from that, there's three things we see that the church is for us, that it gives to us, that it provides for us. And it's accountability, it's unity, and it's authority. Accountability, unity, and authority. Three points, baby. I'm back. Come on. Preaching up a storm here. (laughs) Haven't lost a step. Yes. Accountability, unity, and authority. So accountability. So it says in verse three, come, let us go up to the house of the Lord together and worship. And it's interesting to me because it kind of stands in stark contrast to what we see kind of in the Old Testament. You know, you have like Joshua who says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what you other yahoos are doing, not in my business. You make your golden calves and do whatever. I don't care, but I'm going to serve the Lord, just me and my house, right? And it's like this solidarity, this I'm going to muster up and we're going to do it. But that's not the picture we see of the New Testament church. This vision from Isaiah of the church that we live in is a church that says, come, let us go together. There's accountability. There's togetherness. There's connectedness in the house of God. I remember when we first got to this church, it was about eight years ago, um, we moved here from Dallas, Texas, uh, so that uh, I could do my my graduate work at UC San Diego came out here to be a student and took us, that was September of 2012, and it took us about um, five months to find a church. It was in February we found Awakened Church, and it wasn't that it took us five months to find a church like we were looking. My wife was looking, and it took us five months because I refused to go, okay? So we probably could have found a church real fast, but it took five months because I was just like, yeah, no thanks. I just want to stay at home. Don't want to do it. Not into it. No thank you. Okay, so it took five months. But we found this church at the time was called C3 San Diego, now Awakened Church. And I'll never forget our first couple of Sundays there. It was in this middle school. We were setting up and tearing down every week in, um, in Carmel Valley. And we were brand new, uh, didn't know a soul, brand new not just to the church, but to this entire city, this entire state, this whole side of the country. And um, in our second week, you know, they've been, uh, they did just like we, we do, you know, every Sunday. It's kind of weird to say since we haven't done it in five months, but as we used to do and will now continue to do, we would pray over what we call the Book of Miracles, which is just a little binder of prayer requests, right? We believe that miracles come in, but or that prayer requests come in, miracles go out. There we go. I got it. Shaking the rust off. Come on, somebody. And I remember when they um, asked, you know, in, in that service eight years ago, is there anybody in here who, who needs a miracle, needs a breakthrough? Well, Katie and I were going through um, a, a very difficult family situation. We had a, a family member, a very close family member that was deep in the throes of drug addiction. And like on the verge of overdose, every day that we found out this person was still around, we were like, okay, praise God. I mean, it was very serious. They were depressed, suicidal, addicted to substance, couldn't get out of it. So we actually had like, you can hire, I didn't even know this was a thing, but you can hire a professional interventionist. And so we did, we didn't know what else to do. We hired an interventionist to have an intervention with this family member. 
And so we were, of course, just super stressed out and burdened about it. We're here in California. This is all happening in Texas. And we're, how do we do that from here? How do we support? And so Katie was going to fly back to, to be a part of this intervention. And so during the service, our second service here, they say, hey, you know, does anybody here need a miracle, need breakthrough? And so Katie, I'm like, yeah, I mean, we do, sure. So we raise our hands, somebody prays for us, and, and that was it. Service goes on. And at the end of service, this beautiful young lady that many of you know, her name is Pastor Emma Davies, came up to Katie and said, hey, um, you know, I noticed you raised your hand during, during the, the prayer in the beginning. Is everything okay? And so Katie began to unpack everything that was going on. And to this stranger, we didn't know this weird Australian woman with her accent. And we were just, but, but we were just were like, yeah, here's what's going on. And then Emma brought over another couple. It was like, hey, come here. You know, we need to support this, this couple. And we were brand new. I mean, two weeks into the church. And they were like, hey, let's pray right now. Come on, you know, who are we praying for? And so we told them about this family member and we prayed together. And then they even said, when is this intervention happening? And we were like, tomorrow at 11, you know, Katie's flying out right after service. And they said, okay, hold on, at 11? Is that central time? Yeah, central time. Okay. They set alarms in their phone for 9 a.m. Pacific time, 11 central, and said at exactly the moment it starts, we're going to be praying. And Katie and I are just like, where are we? Like, who, we're new to church. Like, who does this? You know what I mean? Like, most of the time in, like, the rest of the world, you tell people your problems, and they're like, wow, yeah, oh, whew. I'm so sorry. Yeah, good luck. You know, I'll be thinking about, you know what I mean? And here, these people were just investing themselves into our life, whether we wanted them to or not. They just made their way in and said, I'm going to pray for you. It's not, an, you know, I'm not asking you. It's not an option. I'm telling you. And then I'm going to be praying for you tomorrow. And so there's this beautiful accountability at church, this togetherness, this connectedness that we get from the church. And then Fast forward several years, and Katie and I are plugged into to this church and are at this campus. And um, you know, we weren't we weren't pastors yet; we were just kind of leaders. And um, but but this building was here. We had we had launched this campus, and I was a lot of you guys know the story. But Katie and I uh, felt called by God to build a house here in Chula Vista. Problem was, we didn't have any money, um, which turns out the bank actually requires you to have to uh, build a house. We didn't know that. I was like, oh, really? Okay, shoot. Um, so to make it happen, we moved in with Katie's parents in Oceanside to save some money so that we could build this house. So for one year, we lived in Oceanside, which might as well be San Francisco, okay? And we drove down every week for service, every Thursday for Connect Group. And during this season, at the beginning, I don't even remember what year it was. Maybe it would have been like 2016, maybe. I don't know. Um, it was uh, right after the first of the year. And our church, almost every year, I think, since I've been around, we do um, a fast of some kind at the beginning of the year. And so these, um, we, did a, we did a fast, a church-wide fast, and there were several guys from this campus that did this fast kind of together. And I don't even remember what they, what they fasted. And they, um, they decided that they would all get together every morning at 5.30 here at the church and just pray to start their day, 5.30 in the morning, to pray to get their day going during these seven days, right? Well, during the seven days, it was so powerful and so incredible that they just were like, well, not going to stop this. And so they were like, well, let's just kind of keep on going. And so they just kind of kept going. It went on for a couple weeks. And a couple weeks in, one of them invited me. said, hey, why don't you come down and be a part of this? Come pray with us every morning. I'm like, dude, I live in Oceanside. Okay? You guys start, you start praying at 530 in the morning. And he was like, I, I know, but it's really good. So I was like, okay. But I was so hungry and so desperate to see. And these men 
are men that, that I still look up to and respect. They're, they're the kind of the titans of industry in our campus, incredible businessmen that walk in abundance, that have a revelation around finance. And, 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 and so I was just, was, I wanted to be around them. And so I was like, okay. And so for, I couldn't make it five days a week. I, I would have, it just wouldn't have made it. But, but three days a week, I would drive down from Oceanside. So I'd wake up at four, leave the house at 4.30, drive down here, be here at 5.30, pray with these guys for about an hour. 6.30, 7, I would get back in my car and go north to my office in Mission Valley. And then I would, do you guys remember, um, uh, it's called traffic. You guys remember that? So the one redeeming thing about coronavirus is we can now get places fairly easily, praise God. But th- this was back when we had traffic. And so I would go from here up the 805 to Mission Valley and just sit in bumper to bumper to get to work by like nine. So the whole day for me like, was like a five-hour turnaround just to get to work, okay? But I was so desperate to be around these guys, so hungry for the things of, of, the, of God, wanted what they carried that I was willing to do it. So I... I sh- and, and listen, this is before I had a revelation in my life around the importance of prayer. I wasn't really a super prayerful person. Didn't go to men's prayer Tuesday mornings at 5.30, be there, shameless plug. And so they invite me, and I'm like, all right. I was super nervous. I'm like, what do these guys pray for? I have no idea. What are these, what are these prayer meetings even like? I'm not really sure. And so I'm assuming, you know, these are all, you know, kind of the, the big pathfinder, successful guys. They're probably, you know, praying like, prayer of Jabez, like enlarge my territory, expand my tent pegs and abundance and overflow and all this stuff. And so I was just like, I got I to gotta get my, my abundance prayer ready. And I was like actually rehearsing in the car on the way down, nervous that I wasn't going to like fit in with, with these, you know, titans of industry. And, um, and so I, I get there and we would sit right out there in the foyer at about 525, guys would start rolling in. So there was like I think like six or seven or eight of us, and it was guys like Rudy Batis and Marco Contreras and Stephen Kalalui, Chris Aguilar, Matt Lee. Um, and so we would, and it was, it was really awesome because there was this unspoken rule that nobody, we never talked about, never arranged. It just was the way that it was, okay? It's like, it was like Fight Club or something. And so we would all go and we would sit down on the, on the, the couches out there at like 525 while everybody, and it took about 10 minutes for everybody to trickle in. And then at some point, and it wasn't announced, it wasn't like on an exact moment, Rudy Batis would stand up. And we just all knew it's time to start praying. And nobody else could stand up first. We call him the Godfather. He's El Padrino. We couldn't, nobody else could stand up first. But when Rudy, if somebody else would have tried to stand up, it that's not how we do it here. And Rudy would stand up and we would all just, here we go. We're praying. The Godfather has spoken. But I'll never forget my very first time being with these guys. You know, and I'm, I'm ready to like, God bless my business and rain down your abundance and overflow and all this. And they started praying. And for the first 30 or 40 minutes, there was not one mention of money, of finance, of business. And these men that I look up to greatly, that are godly men, just started praying, God, we want more of you. God, we pray that we would seek your face before we seek your hand. We pray um, that you would make us better husbands, God, that you would reveal to us how to be a better father, how to be a better better grandfather. God, we pray for this church, and on and on, and I'm just kind of like, when are we getting to the whole abundance thing? Because I'm really needing that, you know, in my life, so if we can just move it. But you see, being around these guys, 
gave me this incredible revelation. God spoke to me through them. Not, not by some, you know, like scheduled mentorship program or it was just guys getting together at the church and praying. And God revealed to me the truth of scripture in Matthew 5, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. And I had gotten it backwards, right? And I'm just waiting for God to, like God's like my genie that I can just rub and, and ask him for stuff, right? And it was being around these guys. Come, let us go up to the house of the Lord together to worship. There's accountability. When you're in the church, it's like a rising tide raises all ships. And when you're just around godly people, when you're around men and women of faith, you just kind of find yourself like, even when you don't feel like you're full of faith, when you don't feel like you've got victory, you put yourself around people that are walking in victory, around people that are walking in faith, and you just kind of find yourself on your way up with them. That's what we get in the church. And I love it says, come, let us go up together and worship the Lord. Accountability. We also get unity. What an incredible word for us right now, unity. And I love that in verse two, it says that people from all over the world will stream there to worship. Some translations say will flow there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, let us go up to the house of the Lord together. There's unity. And I love the picture because the picture we get is of these streams of water coming from all of these different sources, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, different countries of origin, different whatever. And they all come together and they form one stream. And I love the visual because once all this water flows together into one stream, once it's one stream, you can't pull the individual pieces back out again. It's just all been married together into one fluid stream. And listen to me, there is no other cure for hatred in the human heart, for racism, except the local church. When we as a people realize that we are all made in the image of God, regardless of skin color, creed, race, ethnicity, whatever, we are all imago Dei, made in the image of God. And when we all come together and worship the Lord, there is unity, there is togetherness. And listen, this is a prophetic um, picture of the church that was uttered before the church started. But we actually have record of what the early church looked like. It's the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the historical documentation of the beginning of the church. And if you read the book of Acts, you see over and over and over again, it says, and they were of one accord, and they were of one accord, and they were of one accord, and they were of one accord. You had all of these men and women from different backgrounds, and the Bible says that in the early church, they were all unified and of one accord. The church brings us unity in Jesus' name. And lastly, authority. The church gives us authority. And I love, listen to the, the language here in this passage. It says, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord's house. There, here, he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. Zion just means the church. So, what we see is this picture of like an empowerment factory. People come in, they learn the ways of the Lord, they learn to walk in his paths, and then they go out so that the Lord's teaching can go out 
from the church. And that's what the church is. It is a house of transformation, an empowerment factory. Praise God that the way you come in to the church is not the way that you stay and not the way that you go out. This is a house of transformation. And I think for me, it's like a lot of you guys, I've been here eight years, you know, um, and I think almost all of you didn't know me eight years ago, right? And a lot of you probably just know Katie and I as the campus pastors here of the East Lake Campus Awakened Church. And part of me is thankful because you may not listen to me if you knew the old me. But then I'm also a little sad because, you know, you, you can lose a little bit of the absolute awe-inspiring transformation. That, I mean, it is nothing short of miraculous what God has done in Katie and I's life. Praise God. When you show up to church, they don't say, all right, for, is your first Sunday? Oh, you're, you're new? Oh, cool. Okay, come here. We're going to have an interview. We're going to look at your resume and kind of just test out your propensity for future leadership in the church. I mean, they would have looked at me and said, all right, pass over your resume. Would have read it over. Said, okay. We see here that you are an ultra grumpy, cynical pot of vinegar. But you have no seminary training of any kind. You've never led anybody anywhere or yourself. And you don't ever read the Bible and you don't ever pray. We got a campus pastor right here, baby. We got a campus pastor right here. Come on. Who is thankful that the person that they are today is not the same as the person they were yesterday? The church is a house of transformation, an empowerment factory. And it's so, Katie and I had a moment um, years ago. We'd, we'd been um, at the church for a few years and had been serving for maybe a year and a half, couple years, and, um, you know, started to, to carry a little bit of responsibility, a little bit of, of weight and, and a mantle of, of leadership, just a little bit. And I was in school. I moved out here to go to school and do my doctorate work in engineering. And it was really, really hard, okay? It's, UC San Diego is like a really good school with really, I'm the dumbest person ever to like eke out a PhD from this place. Like I was like, like everybody else was like really smart, really like they're super nerds and they go on to Los Alamos National Laboratory to do like government secret stuff. And I had to like scratch and claw my way to finish like biting ankles to just try to get out of this thing. Okay. So I, it took me every, I was, I worked on my school and my research all the time, days, nights, weekends, nonstop. Like 80, 90, 100 hours a week, I'm in the lab, and we're starting to serve at church, and starting to, to a little bit more and more is being asked of us, and a little bit more time is being required. And we've been asked to kind of, to, to, to carry more weight and more responsibility, and there was a moment for both Katie and I where we had these two things. You know, we had all of our, all the things we wanted to see happen in, in my schooling, and where that was leading, and what that would do for us in business, but then we also had this love that was developing for his church and for the building of his kingdom. And we thought we'd have to choose. We'd have to make a choice. And so it's so interesting because way back then, years and years and years ago, we made a choice and we decided, you know what, even though this could require 120 hours a week, every waking minute to just make this happen, we're going to lay down our lives for this not, not this church, the church, like with a big C, like the, the advancement of the kingdom of God for the church. We're going to lay down our lives for this, and we're going to trust God with this. 
And if anything, Katie and I's story is that the more we have sowed into the kingdom of God, the more that we have laid down our lives for the church, the more that we have seen all of this just spiral upwards and grow and grow and grow. And we are a walking testament to the scriptural promise in Proverbs 25 that says, that says, he who refreshes others will he himself be refreshed. It's one of the great paradoxes of our faith. It doesn't make any sense. It's, what it's saying is the more you give of yourself, the more you empty yourself, the more that you will find yourself miraculously filled up, filled with energy, filled with life. We've had people come up to us and just say, man, I don't envy you. This coronavirus, pastoring a church during the coronavirus must be hard. I don't want to be you. Don't want to be in your shoes. Who? But you know, the crazy thing is, the truth is, and yeah, you know, it's not been, hasn't been like the most fun thing ever. There's been some hard decisions, some tough times, but you know what? We feel so fulfilled, so overjoyed that God has chosen us, us, to be a part of a history-making season in the church. They're gonna talk about this 20 years from now, what happened when the church rose up and unified together to navigate unprecedented pandemic and racial tension. They're gonna talk about the church right now. And God has chosen us for such a time as this. The church is a transformation factor. I'm gonna tell one last story and then I'm gonna pray. And it's not my story, I'm totally hijacking it, but it's such a good story that I'm gonna do it. The young man um, in our campus, uh, his name is Enrique Ledesma right here. Handsome man, he's an intern. Um, so a few weeks ago, it was August 5th, uh, it was a Wednesday night, we had a, uh, a power and petition night, which we've been having every Wednesday. Um, and it was outside and uh, you know we, we would worship and then pray. And so just I just kind of randomly was like, hey Enrique, you know, would you hop up and stage, on stage and pray? And actually the truth is I had asked him a few weeks prior and then the service kind of got away from us, it just kind of didn't happen. But then two weeks later on August 5th, I said, hey, let, let's get you back up there. Will, will, you, will you just kind of pray? And it wasn't some crazy thing. It wasn't like the skies parted and the Lord spoke to me, Mike, have Enrique pray. It was nothing like that, just was like, Enrique, I'd love for you to pray. So Enrique hops up there, prays, does incredible. This lights out prayer with authority and conviction just about wayward children coming home. It was beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. That was it. It was awesome. But then he goes home and gets on Facebook, and Time Hop shows him a photo of exactly five years prior to the day. And it was this picture that reminded him that that was the day that he hit rock bottom. He was at the end of himself, saw no way out, hopeless, nowhere to go, done. And he cried out to God in prayer. So you have a prayer on August 5th, 2020, and a prayer on August 5th, 2015. And on August 5th, 2015, it was a prayer of desperation. God, will you save me? And this is what's crazy. He prayed, God, will you just fast forward me five years? I don't have the strength to get out of, I just, I don't have it in me. I don't have the solidarity. I don't have, I can't get myself out of this. Can you just time warp me five years in the future? And then boom, five years to the day, he's standing on stage, delivered, healed, set free, praying with authority, praying with conviction, ministering to people. Come on. And it's a house of transformation. Yes, come on, praise God. And that is just one of dozens and dozens and hundreds of stories. That's what happens in the church. You come in one way, you get developed and you're empowered to go out and be a light in the world, to be salt of 
the earth. And so I'm going to pray for some people real quick. I'd love it if you just uh, bow your head and, and close your eyes here just for a second as we wrap up. You know, the reason the church is so special um, is because it's the house of God. The only reason the church is special at all is because God is in it. And if God wasn't, it would actually be pretty strange. If you think about it, if God's not here, then we're just a weird social club where we all sing songs while we face the same direction. We talk about drinking the blood of the lamb. Really weird, okay? If God's not in this, then it's, it's, it's nothing. It's meaningless. It's, it's, it's no good. But God is here. So my question for you this morning as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed is do you know him? And I heard somebody say one time, you know, if, if, I were, if you were to ask anybody, like the, the, the population of earth, and say, would you cry out to God in prayer if a family member was dying? And like 95% of people would say, yes, yes, of course I would. I would cry out to him. But there's a difference between praying to God knowing he hears you and praying to God personally. And it's almost like you're on one side of a door and he's on another and you're, you're kind of, you know, got your hands up to the door and you're shouting, hey God, can you, can you do this? Can you do that? I, I know you hear me. I know you're on the other side. But the Bible says in Revelation 3.10 that he's actually standing at that door, knocking, asking you to open it up, to let him in so that he can come in and dine with you and you with him. And so I want to just give you an opportunity to do that really quick while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If you're in here and maybe you've, you've never done that, maybe you've never, you're not a Christian, never made Jesus the Lord of, of your life, never surrendered to him, never said, wherever you go, I'll follow. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Or maybe you, you have a long time ago, but you, you, you've, you've fallen away, slipped away, whatever the case is. Or maybe, maybe just maybe this, this five months of, of coronavirus and just the world being turned upside down has kicked your butt then maybe you just feel infinitely far away from God and he's just calling you back to him this morning. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna include you in my closing prayer and I wanna know who I'm praying with. So here on the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you to shoot your hand up really quick if, that's, if you're in one of those categories of people. Maybe you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. Maybe you did a long time ago, but you've fallen away, slipped away, whatever. Maybe you just feel infinitely far away from him. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand so I know who I'm praying with. One, two, three. Hands all over this room. Awesome. I see you in the back. I see you in the back. I see you right there. Hand there. Hand there. Hand there. Awesome. Right there. See that hand right there. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else needs to make that decision today? The God of heaven, the creator. I see that hand right there. The God of that created the cosmos. The Bible says that he inclines his ear all the way down and listens to us. Jonathan Edwards, the father of the great awakening, said that to him the most important verse in the Bible was Jonah 2.2 that says, from the depths of hell I cried out to you and you heard my voice. Is there anybody else that needs to make that decision? You're crying out to God. You need him to answer you in Jesus' name. Come on. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.